Hello and welcome everyone to FF Plus, your usual outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler free. But this week is a little bit different. I'm your host, Aaron White, and this is the first of a handful of episodes covering my time in Sundance, or I guess in Park City, Utah, watching Sundance Film Festival 2023 movies. The way this is going to work is I have guests scheduled to come on to do several different episodes of three movies apiece. We're going to review them, have conversations about them, and then we'll see about covering some of the movies that I was not quite as high on at the end. Throughout the episodes, I'll probably give you some information about my experience in Park City and my trip in general, but I'm just going to let that kind of come out as it goes. I'm not going to drop it all into one episode because maybe you aren't listening to all of these. Maybe you're only interested in one or two. We'll see. This is going to just evolve on the fly. But for this first episode, back with me after our amazing Sundance preview episode is Taylor from Drink in the Movies. Thanks for having me back. It's been quite a long week for me, and I didn't even have to walk around on my own two feet anywhere. Yeah, you had a different experience than I did for sure. I was on the ground in Park City from Wednesday through a Monday. The festival started on that Thursday night. So I had a full day to really get my bearings, which I'll be honest, was incredibly helpful for someone who was doing their first major film festival in person like I was. I don't I don't know how I would have felt if I had rolled up in there, you know, right when the first movie was starting. It was nice to get settled into the hostel, which was also a first experience for me and a very good one, by the way, met some really interesting people and then find out what was what and how the festival flow, how the shuttles would work and such. Uh, and there was there through Monday, flew back on a Tuesday, and went back to my real job on a Wednesday, and I'm exhausted, because I'm still trying to watch more movies, just as <laughs> you are. We are recording this with, I don't know, three or four days left of time before our movies One, expire completely. Two, three. Three days. Three days. Yeah, you were mentioning this uh, right before we started recording, that yep. we have until about Sunday at midnight or something like that. Sunday midnight uh, mountain time, which is, I think, 10.59 PST. There you go. Uh, and at that time, we will sleep very, very well <laughs> and take probably a swell break. For the next break. year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did want to start by just hearing a little bit about your Sundance experience this year so far. You've kind of mentioned, I think already or alluded to that you were at home. How has that gone for you? What's it been like? Also, sure. other than the movies that we're going to talk about today, you know, if you want to highlight anything that you saw or, you know, if you have any major lowlights you want to point out as well, just how's it been for you? Well, that's a, that's a comparative question. I'll give a little bit of background. I started attending Sundance right during the first COVID year, which I guess was 2021, which was their first year online. That went pretty dang well. The platform was kind of clunky, but it, it went pretty okay. Last year, the maximum resolution you could watch a movie in was 720p. Ew. It was <laughs> a very bad experience. There was a lot of lag. This year, you got a five-hour screening window. You can customize your latency. You can pick 1080p all the way down to 540p. You can adjust from uh, normal stereo to surround sound 5.1. It's been a wonderful at-home experience. Eventive's been, which is the platform they're streaming on, has been incredibly reliable. And that five-hour screening window is more than adequate to make sure that you finish a movie despite whatever else is going on. So that whole experience has 
over these last three years has really shown a growth in Sundance really leading all film festivals in their online platform. I don't know if you're going to do other film festivals this year, but if you do and you do the online portions, you'll definitely notice a comparative difference in quality between them and everyone else. Oh, great. Something to look forward to. <laughs> yes, yes. This is, or dread. you know, they're, they're kind of setting the industry standard here, or maybe Eventive is, you know, really learning how to harness it, and they'll start, you know, leasing this technology out to other festivals. As far as uh, some films worth highlighting, though, I do think that the foreign films are this year's real highlight of the entire festival. We're going to talk about one of my favorites, so I'll avoid it. Two at the very top of my list this year are The Eight Mountains, which won an award at Con from the director of Beautiful Boy, and it's also a debut by the co-director. It's a very slow, meditative um, look at two boys becoming men and... Um, traversing life and its complications from a uh, passive, intimate look. It's it's very, very beautiful, and I can't encourage people to watch it enough. And the second of which is When It Melts, which is a directorial debut by Viral, or Virla Batens. Um, she was an actress in The Broken Circle Breakdown, and this is a particularly harrowing film that depicts some abuse, but it's, it's really personal and wonderfully characterizes um, the intimacy and complex Applications of being a kid that's um, grappling with a lot of things at home and hormones as they're coming of age. And yeah, it's just, it's really touching. I don't want to give any more away, but those are two major highlights of the festival so far. Good picks. I have not got to when it melts as of yet, but it is one that it's in the list. So there's quite a bit that is, I would say, competing for my Attention. minimum minimal time yeah there's not a lot of time left but it's in that group and i think i might have a link for it so that i can watch it after sundance that's i'm trying to acquire those now <laughs> for some mm -hmm. of these movies uh, like one of my favorites or no favorites one of my most anticipated was called the longest goodbye which was that one about astronauts in space and how we kind of mm -hmm. work on their mental health and i missed it completely and then i missed the screening window but i was able to get a link to it so i'll be able to nice. kind of come back to that one after we're done. So I'm excited about when it melts. And then the eight mountains audience listeners, you you will definitely be hearing about it come here uh, a week or so from now <laughs> when one of these other episodes drops, because it was uh, spoiler alert. It is potentially my favorite movie of the festival. So I'm extremely high on the mountain. Yes. When, when I've, I, I'm writing my review of it today and as I'm writing it, I kind of love it more and it, it's juggling back and forth between the other film we're going to talk about today between being my favorite. Outstanding. But for some context, total, I've seen 53 films so far. Insane. Absolutely insane. I, I, I'm going to hit probably 35 total, which for me, first year and being on the ground for over half of it or at least half of it. Being on the ground I'm slows you down. Content with that. Yeah. But even being at home, man, I... I could start doing the math, <laughs> even with as many of these as they're like 90 minutes long and you've put in the work. So that's impressive. Somebody had to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, the flow here is I'm going to do our normal episode style. We're going to talk about the synopsis of the movie, who's in it, etc. I'm going to kind of give a quick review of it and then I'm going to toss it to my guest and let them have their time to share their thoughts and we'll just kind of have a conversation from there. And you're so, going to pronounce every name perfectly, right? Yeah, Perfect. no. And we're going to start off wrong no right off the bat because we are <laughs> we are covering a Mexican film. So um, 
Mexican and Nahuatl. I see. I already have to do this. I think it's. I'm Nahuatl. so glad you looked that up because I was wondering what the language was in the film. Yeah, I'm so glad that it's right. I'm there. probably not pronouncing Great. it correctly, but that's that's what it is. So the movie is called Heroic, and it comes from the distributor Tio Rema. It stars Santiago Sandoval Carbajal, Fernando Cuautul, Monica del Carmen, Esteban Caicedo, Carlos Gerardo Garcia. And Isabel Udice. I'd say that's perfect pronunciation, and there's no challenges permitted. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate your support. (laughs) It is like many, many, many of the films at Sundance, written and directed by the same person, that being David Zonana. The runtime is 88 minutes, and it is in the languages of Spanish and Nahuatl. What's it about? The inner workings of what a military looks like. It is the story of a young man who represents thousands who enter the armed forces and the process they must go through. They enter out of necessity for lack of opportunities, and there they find social security, but at a cost that is mostly psychological. All right, well, this- is it. (laughs) Or is it? Yes. (laughs) We'll get to that for sure. Uh, So this is a hardcore Mexican boot camp drama set at the ironically named Heroic Military College, which is built upon Aztec architecture in the mountains. The setting lends itself to some beautiful cinematography and use of iconography that is quite interesting when considering the main character's indigenous heritage. His name is Luis. He is played by Santiago Sandoval Carbajal. He enrolls in the college somewhat reluctantly in the hopes of becoming an officer so that he can support his family. Uh, His father had served as well, and so he does have history of service in the military in his like family lineage, which is a very common thing. Unfortunately, what he finds is a terrifyingly mean leader named Sergeant Sierra, who encourages over-the-top hazing and the embarrassment of young cadets largely for his pleasure. As someone who spent a lot of time in the American military, much of what we see at first is actually on par with the kind of experience that I had in both boot camp and during a special process called Chief Petty Officer Initiation. So there were events that took place that the cadets had to deal with that were very, very, very similar to things that I had done to me. That doesn't make them right, but on a level of bad, I would say... Some of the things that the movie starts off with are fairly realistic and common occurrences and probably not quite all of that psychologically problematic in some ways. However, I will say this. The U.S. Navy did come under fire for its chief petty officer initiation habits and ended up having to change that. So it has since thankfully been dialed back in a big way, but even... 10 years later, I personally still harbor some pretty strong memories of things that I went through that didn't even come close to what ends up happening in this movie to these characters. The film is superbly edited. Uh, It's beautifully shot. I think it looks fantastic. I think the acting is top notch. There is a lot of nuanced performance here, and I really gravitate towards that kind of work where it's not all about just being loud or 
spouting off really, really well-written dialogue and big monologues, but there is facial expression and body language that has to do some heavy lifting, and I was really impressed with that. And I also really love that the director wisely does not have a musical score until I think it's like the last couple minutes of this movie. There's just nothing. And that's something that I've noticed in several Sundance films. Now, I've also seen the exact opposite, somewhat to a detriment at times, but there's something really immersive about a movie that does not try to urge your emotions on and, and can still be that emotionally effective and, uh, and, and really get in your, and under your skin. The movie does painfully capture hazing. And I think the challenges of what it takes to try and stop that cycle, if you tattle or you try to leave, as we see, you're considered weak and you may first face further, worse punishment. If you go along with the hazing, does it blacken your soul? Does it change who you are? The one tricky part for me about this movie is that it does feature a truly evil, sadist, kind of criminal character. And he and some of his compatriots are much worse than the normal military hazing experience. And so it's all exaggerated into this very much worst case scenario. And it's still a harrowing look. If you don't at mind me chiming in, we actually talked about this when you brought it up in your most anticipated, and mm -hmm. how there's in the Mexican military there there is the issue of the cartels, and there is the issue of organized crime dominating the country. And so I, while I agree that it's the the characterization of that that main really sadistic character does kind of add this level of I don't know if I can believe this that is something that is actually you know at at least metaphorically an issue for the Mexican military of how are we handling gangsters that are cartel members coming into the military assuming positions of power using the military arms and power to go commit crimes control achieve power support cartel activities so i i do think that that angle to it it actually enlivens it more for me and makes it even more accurate rather than removing it but i can see going the other way with it well i'm definitely not necessarily considering it like a negative to the story I, i'm just wanting to point out that it is Okay, let me put context. American audience member, me, right? I'm watching this and you're you're absolutely right. So I would imagine for a Mexican audience watching this, they're going to definitely pick up on that. And it may not feel nearly as exaggerated because it may feel more like a, a lived-in experience that they're used to, right? That that corruption is everywhere. Whereas for us, I think it's important I should clarify and, and it's a good thing you brought that up because I'm saying don't one for one compare what you see in the movie heroic with the American military. And I, I've seen some, you know, folks kind of try to do that in their reviews. And so I'm just, I was kind of, that's what I was intending mm, to call out. I see. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're, you brought that up so we can specify, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a harrowing look at this toxic military culture that it, it does have a cost on the psyche of young men. And this movie, when the screen goes dark, it leaves you questioning whether or not a character's 
actions were heroic or not. And then, and you know, you and I immediately, or I guess you watched it before me, I immediately messaged you about it. To me, that is a sign of a really, really strong film. When I want to talk about it, I want to find out what other people thought. It left me with questions. It was somewhat ambiguous, and I've thought about it a lot since it ended. So, a big fan. And I'll give you so so. Where do you? I mean, I know you love it. How do you feel do about it. it? I mean, we're talking about it, and it's making me feel more strongly about it. I'm pushing the eight mountains back down. I'm saying heroics, my my boy. Just to to finish the thought, there there's uh, I forget the name of the current cartel taking over. But there's a current cartel taking over because of a power structure vacuum in the Sinaloa cartel. And the Sinaloa cartel, you know, all all cartels are bad, whatever that means. But they viewed it as you want everyone to be on your side, and you don't want to you don't want to hurt the old lady you don't want to hurt the baby you want everyone to support you because then it's easier to get away with everything and uh that's what el chapo was in charge of that cartel and now he's gone and his son is gone and so the sinaloa cartel is dissolving and a more violent cartel is taking over so for me this has a couple more layers of like a moral play to it even which i find very exciting and you talked about how the score doesn't really come in until near the end and to me that plays directly into that psychological thing that we were talking about about does the movie end when the credits roll or did it end at a point before that? And there, there's so many layers to uh, peel back and really look at within this moral play. And it also, like Cassandro, another Mexican film at the festival, is examining this machismo culture from Mexico that that isn't the same machismo style that we have in America. You know, there's two different styles of culture here and the way that it examines it and the way that it puts him squarely at the responsibility of taking care of his mother and that he's willing to take on some of these abuses in order to try to provide for the the women in his life is a very interesting dialectic that the the film chooses to have. Not just through him, but through another character who uh was who enlisted under false pretense but has a child and he wasn't Mm -hmm. supposed to be able to join with a child there's just so many unique little wrinkles in the film and then on top of everything you already talked about you know the cinematography um i forget the name of the individual but they did holla as well and flower they've got a great um ability to not only shoot these great depth of field shots outside but they use sunlight in a way that a lot of cinematographers find a hard time doing and that when we're outside it feels more cinematic than when we're inside and normally that's the opposite for other uh films and there's you know you mentioned the iconography and there's ways that they shoot these uh structures at what you said it's at the heroic military base in mexico is that what the name of it is? Yeah, it's not. I don't think it's real. I'm pretty sure it's just made up name. Okay. Okay. But I mean, I haven't Googled that, though. I mean, real, maybe it's right. Re- it feels like I mean, oh, the root, real. the Aztec architecture is real. I just, yeah, I meant, I don't yeah. know if it's actually a military college. Yeah. 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 Okay. That, that makes more sense. But the way that she, uh, she would shoot. So th- there's one shot that I just, you know, screamed print on because I want a copy. Uh, he's looking somewhere and behind him are the the stone heads and just this wonderfully splayed arrangement. And all those little pieces of the cinematography build up this complexity that he's roiling within his head about who he is, what this is making him, and if it's worth doing. And those are my favorite types of stories in some way, because those are the stories of humanity, of life, of, you know, what am I doing here? Am I doing the right thing? How is doing this thing that might not be good 
going to change me so that I can take care of the people I love. These are all things that um, I really love in storytelling and I think are just pulled off flawlessly here. Yeah, I have very little to say negative about it at all. And it is a film that I'm hopefully going to see again. It has not been picked up for any sort of worldwide distribution yet. Unfortunately, I've been tracking it. So I'm hoping that something happens. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason I could see behind that is if it just hasn't been seen enough. Like if people, I mean, that is a, it's a possibility we can only see so many movies. Like we had to make some hard choices. But Even this seeing is a 53 movie that movies. you and I get sent in the neon box in November. That's what this movie. This is. It is so stylized, yes. so specific, so wonderfully crafted from beginning to end. It's completely self-contained. That you know any art house film distributor, whether it's movie neon a twenty four, would be so lucky to have this thing because it's just complete. There's no need to add more context. There's no need to do a sequel. It just is what it is. And it translates Mexican culture to the world because it's so specific that it's universal. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Well, we'll leave it off with that and move on to number two. That is You Hurt My Feelings. Coming to us from A24, this was acquired before the festival, and if I recall, was on your most anticipated list when we did our episode. This stars Mm -hmm. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Tobias Menzies, Michaela Watkins, Owen Teague, Ariane Moyed, and Jeannie Berlin. It is directed by and written by Nicole Holofcener, and its runtime is 93 minutes. What's it about? Beth is a New York novelist in an unbelievably happy marriage to Don, who loves her and supports her in every way. But one day, she overhears him, admitting that he hasn't liked her writing in years, and the revelation threatens to undo all that's good in their lives. Now, Nicole Holofcener's latest is a slight family dramedy without much of a plot. Seriously, like, nothing happens in this movie. It is just dad going to work and having his therapy sessions. He's not in therapy, although maybe he is, but he's the one providing the therapy. They're some of the most fun scenes in the entire movie. I'll save that for Taylor to mention specifically a couple uh, that he talks to frequently. It's one of the best gags that there is. And then the mom, Beth, who is a teacher. She is a writing professor, so she's going back and forth. She goes to her classes. She assists her elderly mom and she is trying to get her new fiction book published. And then it has some peripheral family members that show up here and there. Beth's sister-in-law and her husband, who is an actor, struggling actor, I would say. And then Beth and Dawn's son, who is an aspiring writer as well and works at a marijuana store. So it actually takes almost half of the runtime before the main event is listed in the movie synopsis occurs. And it doesn't really change the commentary that has already been taking place because from the jump in this movie, we see this theme of you hurt my feelings and it's just a a constantly pervasive idea. And that's, a big point that the movie is making is that it's not confined to this one specific situation. And I found that interesting. So the big turning point kind of, as mentioned occurs when Beth that's Julia Louis Dreyfus 
secretly overhears Dawn, played by her husband, Tobias Menzies. He's excellent, by the way. I absolutely love him in this role. Uh-huh. I think he's uh-huh. just fantastic. Uh, he confides to her brother-in-law, or his brother-in-law, that he does not actually enjoy her writing, and that's despite showing her the support and telling her he thinks it's great. Very common thing to happen in relationships. This is the conflict. It takes us to the film's end, but all the characters have some combination of experience with one another where this is taking place. Someone is telling someone something that is different from what they actually feel and believe in order to spare feelings. I found this script to be bitingly funny, and I think it wonderfully pokes at the reasons that we lie to spare the feelings of others. And I think it encourages reflection. At least it did for me. Of all the movies that I've seen at Sundance, I have thought about this as much as any film because it genuinely has made me confront the way I interact with people going forward. And I, and I think that that is really powerful. The entire cast is excellent, so I don't think it had to be deeper than it is, but it, it does have that resonance to it with that actionable life lesson kind of attached. I don't usually go for comedies at all, but maybe I have found my style of comedy because I laughed out loud nonstop during this, and I found it to be just completely charming, completely breezy, and it's the kind of movie that, unlike the majority of these Sundance films, Taylor, I can actually recommend this to practically everyone I know. And all of and that their mom. was, yeah, and their mom. <laughs> and all of that was wrapped up by one of my most incredible moments at the fest that I've just got to share during the Q&A. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Tobias Menzies, Nicole, they're up on the stage, right? And this is at the world premiere. It's one of the films that I got to see the first time uh, that it ever played. So they go through the audience, they're calling on people, yada, yada, yada. The first thing that was really cool is Nicole has been at Sundance multiple times. And mm-hmm. so she was like, listen, I want to go do this old school style. Can we just go sit on the stage? <laughs> and <laughs> Julia wouldn't do it. So they didn't end up sitting on the stage. But it was really cool to see Nicole being down to earth. I mean, she was one of the most, felt like one of the most approachable celebrities that I saw at Sundance. She's a real and then person, later, and that's why her screenplays yeah, are real people. That's a great way to put it. Um, she actually asked for the the lights to come up because they usually have the audience lights dimmed, and mm-hmm. she was like, can you please just turn on the lights for me because I want to see the audience. thought that was really cool. Anyway, after a few questions, they say, okay, you, you sir, right there, blah, 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 in the hat. And somebody stands up, and Julia Lewis-Dreyfus goes, oh, my God, it's Michael. And I kid you not. Michael J. Fox was just in the audience watching this movie and had stood up. And <laughs> so it was both, it was kind of heartbreaking because, you know, if, you, if you're not aware, he has Parkinson's disease and he was struggling mightily to hold the microphone and to express his and thoughts. And he threw it at someone and said, I meant to do that, right? <laughs> no, he did not. <laughs> um, but it was a beautiful moment. And the gist of what he was getting is that he brought up his own marriage with his wife and talked about how important this was and just showered the cast and Nicole and her writing with a bunch of praise. And it was incredibly sweet and just one of the coolest things I've seen because I think there's something special about artists supporting artists. And 
you could tell that this was a genuine thing for him. This was not staged. This was not, you know, forced. This was just a guy who really resonated with the movie wanting to say something. And he also happens to be famous. And it, it was really a neat moment that I will never be able to watch this movie and not remember that happening to me as well. That's awesome. Yeah. The, the thing about Nicole Hall of Center directed films is that you could replace her direction pretty easily with anyone. The thing that makes her movies amazing is what she wrote down before filming began. And it she's one of the only filmmakers where I would give her screenplays, you know, a much higher rating than I would give her final film. And it's not because the film's bad. It's just never really engaging in the things that I really respond to cinematically. <clears throat> but it's so competently told and framed and a lot of the comedy's really well timed. So I, I don't, you know, take very much away from it. But she's she's really kind of an unparalleled writer. It that just doesn't really um have great cinematic flourishes to the way that she presents things, but that's because these stories that she's telling are so human. And, you know, I think that we're all taking different things away from this film, which is what really indicates the quality of her writing. You know, it's it's about how we're all kind of hurting each other's feelings, is what I hear, hear you saying, and, you know, observing the little white lies that we tell. But for me, it's observing in the film the the people that made it to the end of the film that were reestablishing the relationships were all the ones that looked at their partner or their friend or their son and said you hurt my feelings then the other person admitted they hurt their feelings and why and then they kept trying to build the relationship and move forward and it's the ones that wouldn't agree that someone had hurt the other person's feelings that were falling apart and i think that the way that she just passively presents that as you know, the the bottom level of truth to human relationships of, you know, I can get over something if you're completely honest with me and I feel like I can trust you, but I can't do it if we're still lying. And that might lead us into the couple you wanted me to mention, which is real life couple Amber Tamblin and David Cross, who play... Uh, a couple getting therapy from Tobias Menzies' character very, very well. It's almost like they may have done it before. And they have, a, I, I think, a total of three scenes with him where they're, the only thing that they can agree on is that they dislike him and that he's doing it's a bad a job. It's a great It's awesome. And they, they're just, they, they, they'll talk about how the other person hurt them in exchanges and the other person will never acknowledge what the other person did. And at the end, the only thing that, that unifies them is their desire to get back at Tobias, we'll say, and I'll leave it to uh, the listeners to go ahead and view how they try to get back at him. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very fun gag, very fun couple, but it's, it's that the, Little moments that Nicole writes that, you know, it's not even particularly framed well, but it's because of the character and believing the honesty when Tobias says, like, what? When when she says that she lies too, and she leaves the room to their bedroom, and she comes back with a full earring tree, and she taps it, and he says, which ones? All of them? And yes, all all of these earrings that are leaves, except for the first pair that she asked for, because he's just been buying her pairs of earrings that are leaves for their anniversary for however many years it was, maybe 10 or 20. Um, and just that little 
bit of of real feeling human character adds this layer that also equalizes because it's not just that he was lying to her about how he felt about her writing she was also lying and so they were exchanging the the truth of how they had really been feeling when they'd been telling these white lies for these years and reconnecting and it's just so honest to its its core and it's so personal and human and that's what her filmmaking style is which is in no way bad but it just isn't that bravura extremism that um i tend to really really love in my cinematography (laughs) i yeah man i was really reluctant because i have not seen i guess most of her previous work and i i don't know why i didn't find i didn't love the last duel and that was i think my own real connecting point for her was well, that's that she a ridley the last scott act, which was picture yeah uh, oh yeah. i know uh, oh you're just make sure everybody else knows but yeah i mean i know she wrote the yeah. last act which was the best act uh, by far <laughs> so there was that in a movie i didn't love but I she just, does I, oh I feel like a i've little discovered her true yeah, the performance. But I feel like I've discovered her. And I, and I, you made a great mm-hmm. point there just now about the fact that what we do is also tend to rank the level of hurt feelings internally. So she feels that the thing that he has done, the thing he has lied to her about is so much worse than what she has done by lying to him about smaller things. And that is how we kind of justify our behavior. And so the movie gets at that and it really is just so resonant I think for anybody. I think couples are you know definitely going to have a great time with this. I think you know people who can sit down and watch it together, a husband and wife, hopefully it doesn't cause fights. <laughs> it might. You might like have to deal with some real stuff. I don't know, but like you I might need see to people have that like, fight. Might be a good fight. Yeah, fight. It might. Like there's going to be some cringe laughter between the two of those people when they like look at each other like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but also just the relationship with their son. I think it's really interestingly mm-hmm. presented, you know, in a way that they want the best for him, like any parent. Like these are good people. That's one thing I liked about this movie is everybody in this movie is a good person. There's no like underlying darkness and like just, I don't know. We, we always have like characters that have to be a little edgy. That's not the case here. Th- they're all... But but there are the cute flaws, right? When she goes into the college, oh yeah, flaws, thing, yes, uh, the college sure. class, and she's like, "What do you mean? None of you have read my book. Why would you take this class?" You know, it's that it shows that little. Oh, I'm definitely going to read it now. That makes I love her equal so to everyone else. That was so funny, <laughs> so good. Oh yes, and then she goes to the bookstore and like covers up this other person's book with her own. That was so believable, so natural. Oh, anyway, yeah, this one was a lot of fun, and it has, like several other Sundance movies, it has made me want to seek out more of either an actor or a director's work, which I'm excited about, because I want to, you know, discover what else they have. Well, third on the list is Fair Play from MRC Studios, and it is... As last I checked, they're nearing a deal with Netflix for around $20 million. I have not seen whether or not it was confirmed, but I'm pretty sure that that's happening. I think personally that this is going to be a great fit for Netflix, but we'll get into that here in a second. This stars Phoebe Nynevor, Alden Ehrenreich, and Eddie Marson. It is written and directed by Chloe Domont, another directorial debut, and its runtime is 113 minutes. What's it about? An unexpected promotion in a cutthroat hedge fund 
pushes a young couple's relationship to the brink, threatening to unravel not only their recent engagement, but their lives. Listen, it is all hot sex in the bathroom until your lover slash coworker gets that promotion you wanted. <laughs> Phoebe Dynavore is more like Phoebe Dynamite. I had never seen her before this film, was not familiar with her work in Bridgerton or anything Same. else. And I am obsessed. I was completely spellbound by her just entire aura, probably more so than even just the performance as a whole. I just was really smitten by her. So she plays Emily, one half of this increasingly toxic financial industry couple. And this was just a really thrilling feature debut. Emily's partner, Luke, who is played by Alan Ehrenreich, he sort of presents as what I would say is like a budget Leonardo DiCaprio or Michael Douglas. How dare you? Uh, in this role. How dare you? And he initially seems very supportive and even proud of her when she gets this promotion. But as her status rises and his begins to come into question, a very fragile male ego emerges. Aaron Reich, I found to be a wonderful match for Dynavore's powerful screen presence. She owns every inch of this of the screen that she's in. Um, and I think that he uses his charming smile very well as a mask for the seething jealousy that is clearly growing within him. And what begins as the subtle signs of someone who is merely frustrated with being passed over slowly boils into this depiction of a completely unhinged animal who simply cannot accept not getting what he wants. This is a very slickly shot piece of cinema that has strong tension throughout. It's a biting examination of power and gender dynamics in the workplace and in relationships, and it sheds a bright light on the kind of abusive behavior that, personally, I think making large sums of money tends to excuse it a lot of times i've heard people compare this to the erotic thrillers of the 90s i mean i just compared it to michael douglas so i guess i'm doing the same thing but it's honestly far more psychosexual than it is erotic like you're not gonna get really really hot and steamy sex scenes in fact a couple of the hottest sex scenes in this end up with a little bit of a gag that make them much less hot in my opinion uh it's full of kind of sharply comedic moments that breaks the tension down just a little bit. But I loved the ramp up of emotions during the climax as these two characters are just barreling head first towards an inevitable confrontation. And I was happy to see that laughing at assholes who deserve to get their comeuppance never gets old. Uh, I, I thought it was a complete blast. I was riveted throughout, maybe a little bit long, Eddie Marson, uh, the other actor of note in this, plays the owner, CEO of this hedge fund company. And, oh man, I thought he was really fantastic as well. He's just very driven and very completely to the point, as you would expect people in this industry to be. The, if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, there's sort of that same kind of vibe going on in this office uh, with the people that work there. And it's also or if run you've seen in that industry, it's industry. Yeah. So it, did she write on that? So I know that Chloe Dumont, I, I want to say she wrote on that or succession or something. She had some experience. I 
I don't know. I, ha- I didn't do any of my research on her writing side before that. It's just when I, will I look was it watching this, I got okay. a little bit. I want to uh, watch that. I want to see yeah. industry. I've heard good things. Okay, well, if so, you like so this, I think you, like you, might, you might have a little bit of different feelings on this one than me. So I'm going to look that up while you Very share strongly different. I mean, I'd say I disagree with kind of like everything that you emotionally like grappled onto. Like, I just I don't think that this is a particularly smart uh, takedown of, you know, the masculine wealth power structure. Like, it, it really is just kind of lowest common denominator in almost everything. While I think Dynavore does have this this magnetism that I would liken to like Dakota Johnson's magnetism, where it's just fun to look at her emote and manipulate her face her accent in the film made no sense to me based on the fact that her parents are from the states and the relationship dynamics and the way that they talk to each other made no sense that's just not how humans communicate and it goes on for so long that i i just couldn't take it seriously it's clearly you know like it's it's achieving something equals it's not writing to find out where it's going it already found out where it wanted to go and everything's in support of getting there and i i think that there's you you know a little bit of room for pushback on maybe aaron reich's character being completely at fault i think that there's an interesting wrinkle that the film doesn't even engage with where he tells her the play she makes the play the play makes a ton of money she gets the check never talks about it, right? Like, it's just, we see him see it, and that's all that happens. There's so many of these little things that instead of, like, building the undercurrent of, you know, this psychological interest piece, it's just like, okay, so you're doing this because you need to plug in that value here so that you can get to this point, and that point ends up being really inconsequential. Like, basically, nothing happens at all. Like if if you took the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie and you removed the middle and you just had her do what she does at the end, you wouldn't really be missing anything uh, of consequence. Um, it, it's just it it's I, I think of um, that film with Sidney Sweeney and Will something from Pokemon Detective that came out last summer on Amazon. And it's a lot so, more psychosexually steamy. I love the movie. Uh, it's it's the it's voyeur. Gosh, what's it called? Yes. Is it called Voyeur? I think it's called Voyeur or Voyeurs. something like that. But it's Voyeurs. Yeah, Voyeurs. I, I've watched it multiple times. I'm a big fan. And it's, and way it's much more a little movie. Yeah, actually, probably is. <laughs> so Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. And it does and it and it has something interesting. Like it go it goes in a little bit of a wacky direction, but in an interesting way. So I, I do understand what this you're saying. This goes in a wacky direction, but not in an interesting way. Right. And it's so restrained. Like the cinematography is so restrained and dull. Like I, it, when you're in an office environment, it is difficult to do things. That's why we look at uh, that Mark Ruffalo movie from what, 2019, 2020, Dark Winds or something, where he shoots dark it in waters. an office. And it's <laughs> dark waters, dark waters. And uh, the the indoor office cinematography was just incredible. So like you, you can do it. I get that it's a directorial debut, but y- you're you're trying to say something in this film so much that you're not just letting the characters breathe. And there's, I, my short review on Letterboxd is literally just like a single episode of industry just accomplishes more than this. It, it provides more context to characters right at the end. I know that we're not giving away spoilers, but it, it's basically just like nothing is explained at all about a certain character's 
changes throughout the film, even though we never saw what he was really like to begin with. Like there, there's just there's an unending layer of turtles that I could just look at the shells of and tell you this is a problem. This is a problem. This is a problem because these aren't characters before we start. They're not real people like we were just talking about. These are people that are representing allegories and she wants to tell a specific thing. But the way that she gets there, you know, the math just doesn't add up, at least for me. I don't have a ton of critique or notes for what you're saying. I think you're not wrong necessarily. I personally just have so much fun watching it that I'm able, I guess, to not care as much about some of those things. And that's one place that we're, we're just different in a lot of ways when it comes to watching certain movies or most movies, I should say. But um, so I enjoyed it, even though I would definitely agree with you. And you could, when you start bringing up certain other movies, I could be like, Oh yeah, that's, that's better because it's deeper because it actually has uh, richer characters. This is, is certainly surface level stuff. It's just fun surface level. And that's part of why I thought it probably went on a little too long is because the more surface level something is, mm-hmm. the length you feel it <laughs> heavier and heavier and heavier. Oh, like, it, okay. it could be fun maybe at 80 minutes. It's possible that I would feel very differently, but it, it ends up feeling like it's just part of this content churn thing where, which makes Netflix make perfect sense. You know, it's going to go there and it's going to do very well because people are going to think that they can mm-hmm. turn it on and do the dishes and they can. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, I think you're right. I, I looked it up. She was a primary writer on multiple seasons of Ballers, which is where I was trying to remember Ballers. And she also directed some episodes of both that and Billions. And so I think the So if you want to watch something good style, Chloe DeMont, watch Ballers or Billions. Billions. Both are great. Yeah. Yeah. I like both as well. And they're both, they both have that same slickness to them that she tries to bring to this as well. uh, And sort of, you know, like sharpness to the outfits and the way that everything is structured within the office. And I don't know. It's fun. It's fine. I I think that some people are going to have a lot more fun with it than probably you did simply because I hope so. It is more of a, more of a turn your brain off old school kind of thriller in a lot of ways. But I will be honest and admit that as much as enjoyment as I had while watching it in the moment, it is not a movie I've thought about comparatively to much of the rest of my Sundance experience. It has not lingered for me, but it, it is one that I would absolutely throw on in the background again if I was doing some writing or something. So or I don't dishes, know. Right? I guess there's val or dish. Well, n- my TV is not viewable from my, uh, you know, that's perfect. Sink, that so makes I- it perfect. Mute it and turn it on. <laughs> Taylor. Taylor. <laughs> oh, you're funny. It, uh, it, we're gonna it's leave possible it that, that with a different cinematographer it'd be more interesting, <laughs> but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, another cinematographer isn't going to change the character depth at all. They're still going to be... No, just... but it could have at least made it more <laughs> palatable. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for jumping on with me. This has been great. Uh, this is an awesome start to my Sundance episode coverage. I appreciate it. This was fun. Thanks for having me. It's good to get to start going through these. Remind everybody where they can find your Sundance coverage and your work in general. 
everything's drinkinthemovies.com. We've got a festival page specifically at the top. You just go click festival. You scroll through. You'll see everything Sundance or Slamdance. If there's anybody in your crowd that's interested in Slamdance stuff, we've got half the Drink in the Movies team covering Slamdance right now. And before I sign off, I do want to plug a movie that I didn't mention earlier at the end here that I think is great that I think you'd also support. It's Luke Lawrenson's sophomore film, A Still Small Voice. It's beautiful. It's tender. It's uh, evoking of complex emotions. I, If you have a chance to see it, absolutely do. Thanks for having yeah, me, Yeah, I echo that. I echo that. I don't know if I'm going to get to talking about it on a podcast or not, honestly, but it is definitely one that emotionally impacted me in a very, very strong way. It's the kind of movie that you watch and you're like, crap, I... I got to watch something else now. How am I supposed to do that? It's you just want to just kind of stop for a little bit and take a break. Uh, Yeah. He's become just out of nowhere. Like my favorite documentarian. It's yeah. It's very special. Maybe you'll uh, send me a DM and we'll do another episode on it. (laughs) It's possible. It's very possible. All right. Well, thank you again, uh, audience. That's it for this week, or I guess not for this week. I'm just reading my my notes, and that's not accurate because you're going to be getting a slew of FF Plus episodes. You're going to get a normal new release episode next week with Knock at the Cabin and some random movie that's coming out that a director sent me and said, hey, will you review this? And I like to do two things at a time. And so I said, sure, why not? So we're going to review that one too. And then you'll also have Patrick and I's next main episode coming on Monday morning, covering the menu. I'll be back with a lot more soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling. Well.